You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Suzanne Feldman on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called Sisters of the Great War, and this is uh, one of the most fantastic uh historical fiction books that i've uh, had the pleasure of reading this year uh, that takes us back to world war one the story of sisters who go on this life-changing adventure uh, together and separately and uh this is a phenomenal book you're gonna love it welcome to the show suzanne thank you so much thank you for having me and thank you for saying such wonderful things about my book oh you are so welcome and it's it absolutely deserved uh, Suzanne, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, that's a good question. So there I was in preschool, <laughs> and um, I would stand on a chair and tell all my preschool classmates about the three billy goats gruff, and I, they never got tired of it, and I'll never forget doing it. So that was my first, I was like, you know, before I could write. So I've always enjoyed telling stories and um, I continue to, to enjoy them now. Did, did you come from a storytelling family? Was, was this something that was, uh, you know, uh, that, that in the genes, if you, if you uh, look at it that way? Well, my dad wrote a book and um, I know my mom wanted to. Uh, my dad wrote a book about his experiences during the Holocaust, where he was a refugee during the war. And so we heard that story, we heard his stories a lot at dinner. So, you know, they were, you know, frightful stories, but they were always interesting the way he told them. So I would say that that is probably where it comes from. I love that so much. Um, Suzanne, a lot of people... Um, a, a lot of people that have been on the show uh, can, kind of have this epiphany somewhere in life where where they they just know that uh, that that they have a book in them and mm-hmm. that it, it will come out. Um, and then, you know, very few of those people that I've talked to had kind of a singular purpose in life and everything that they uh, did and everything career wise and education wise always pushed them closer to that goal. Most of the people that have been on the show um, you know, took a sort of a circuitous route and and came back around to writing. Um, wh- which one of those are you? Well, I'm a really driven person, and uh, I would like to say that I, I'm the kind of person who, you know, all roads point to writing. Uh, when I, you know, you, you got to go to work, you got to get a job, all that kind of thing. Sure. And my um, my degree is in art. So I went to I went to work as an art teacher in high school for 27 years, but the entire time I was writing books, you know, I, I worked full time. 
sometimes and I worked part time sometimes because it was, you know, depending on where I was in, um, in my writing career. So I went to Johns Hopkins um, for the creative writing graduate program in 2004. And that was really my, my like my springboard, I guess, into, you know, different kinds of writing like literary fiction and uh, romance fiction and things like that. And it's just, uh, I retired in 2015. So, you know, it's been like, the last, you know, five or six years, it's just been writing. And, you know, it's what I've always wanted to do full time. And and now I get to do it. It's awesome. Uh, that is awesome. Um, so tell me about the, the first book um, that you got published, um, because, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, mm-hmm. but you also write under a different name? Um, in the early 90s, I wrote under a pen name, Severna Park. And I published three science fiction novels. And the first one was was called Speaking Dreams. And it was published by Firebrand Books, Small Feminist Press, in 1992. And that was amazing because it took me like, you know, two or three years to write the book. And then, you know, I started making some calls and the editor, Nancy Barriano, took it two weeks later. So that was astonishing to me and it kind of opened the door to um you know other venues so i wrote two more science fiction novels under severna park and then um and i won an Nebula award and then i kind of you know didn't have any more science fiction ideas so i went to johns hopkins and um and kind of changed directions and uh started using my real name i love that that is is an amazing story um (laughs) What, that first book that you that you published with the small press uh, was mm-hmm. that the first novel that you had written? Yeah, that's it amazing. Is. That it is, is amazing. amazing. It yeah. Is. Um. So, you you uh the three science fiction books that you published and now mm-hmm. Sisters of the Great War obviously is historical fiction. Um. Do you do you feel a tension between the side of you that loves science fiction and the side of you that that loves historical fiction or um, you know, do those things, uh, uh, is there no conflict, uh, you know, as, as far as you're concerned? Well, it's interesting with, with both science fiction and with historical fiction in that, you know, you've, with science fiction, you kind of have to invent the background and the, yeah. you know, the lives of the people and, and things like that. But with historical fiction, it's already there. And what you have to invent are the people who fit into it. So right. it's, you know, it's a different kind of invention, but it's, um, I don't know, I, I really enjoy it. It's For me, it's a huge challenge, and I love really hard challenges. <laughs> well, you know, um, with science fiction and, and fantasy, uh, really particularly world building is, yeah. is kind of the cornerstone there. And and with historical fiction, like you said, your world is already built, and these kind of tent post um, or these tent pole uh, events are, are are historical fact, and mm-hmm. and you write around them. And yeah. um, did did you find any uh, were there any challenges with creating a story? Or, because th- this is the interesting thing about historical fiction is that the historical fiction fans are very particular about the um, 
the things that that you get right and the things mm-hmm. that you make up to fill in the cracks. Um, so what, how did you decide, um, you know, what historical facts uh, would be in the book? And and, you know, how do you how do you kind of um, play with what is real, what is make believe and, and and kind of merging those together? Well, you know, there there was a war <laughs> and um, and there people, was. you know, fought in it and, you know, worked around the edges of it. And I think that that's kind of a hard question to answer. But, you know, I, when I wrote the book, there were certain historical um, things that happened, events that happened. And one was and this isn't in the book anymore because it just it made the book too long and it, it just didn't fit. But there was a, an attack on the Germans by the British at the Messines in Belgium. And the Messines are like a little tiny mountain range because this part of Belgium is mostly flat. And uh, so they had um, tunnelers, like the like British miners had tunneled under basically what was a swamp and had set explosives to blow up the German lines. I mean, we're talking about like a mile of tunnels. And the Germans heard about this and they tunneled back. So, and this is, I thought one of the most compelling scenes in the book was um, the miners would run into each other underground in the dark with candles and pistols and they would, and they would kill each other underground. And it was, I mean, it's unbelievably horrible. And that war was unbelievably horrible. but you know, you, you just you know you have to work around, like you said, the tent poles of history to um you know to make it a, a convincing book. And there's just you know, fortunately, World War One was was well photographed and extremely well documented. So there's a lot of tent poles to write around. Yeah. Uh, and you just kind of have to find you know the right people to populate that that fiction. Um, one of the things that I used as a resource was um, the diaries of nurses. Uh, that were that have been published within the last you know 15 or 20 years, and they uh, they're amazing. I mean, it's just the amount of stuff, and you know, just crazy stuff that they had to deal with. And some of the memoirs and and diary entries are like, you know, this is terrible, and I can't wait to leave. And some of them were like, oh, these soldiers are so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy to help them. <laughs> Let's have a party. You're so, right. You know, wide variety of uh, of responses. I'm not sure so, if I your question. Yeah, no, that, that that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, so after after writing science fiction, and then you you go to Johns Hopkins and you start kind of uh, thinking uh, of about other creative pursuits. Um, mm-hmm. What was it about this time? Well, first off, um, have you have you had a love for historical fiction uh is this a a genre that that you personally love to read in i think it's very interesting and i you know i'm not sure that that historical fiction is something that i you know delve into deeply in terms of a reader of being a reader but i do like the nonfiction around especially world war one it just, you know, it's just opening doors to, you know, just that era. Sure. Um, the, uh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to ask me the question again. 
No, I, I was just saying that are you a, a fan of historical fiction? I am. I am. But I, I find I get more from um from reading the nonfiction versions of uh of, of history. Sure, sure. So what was it about this time period? Uh or uh or were there specific events? What what was it that in, initially grabbed your imagination that uh that you said I, I really want to write a story based here? Well, the stories of the nurses were pretty compelling, but a book that I read, it's called All uh, Not So Quiet, and it's obviously a riff on uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, um, and it was written right after the war by a woman who drove an ambulance, and she she wrote down all the gory details, and that is the book that I pretty much used as a, as a touchstone for this one for the character of Elise, who is the ambulance driver. And all the ambulance drivers were women because all the men were fighting. So they, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, women weren't supposed to get, you know, dirty or shot at, you know, this, the ambulance drivers were both dirty and shot at, and it was just not a ladylike existence at all. It was really, really dangerous. But that was a, a real inspiration. And the other thing was that, you know, as I had finished uh, the last book, um, which was called Absalom's Daughters, I was like, what should I write next? Because, you know, I wasn't going to stop. Yeah. And um, and I thought, you know, I'd like to write a war book, but everybody does World War II. So I think I'll do World War One. And so and that was kind of my starting point with all this. Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app, on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. You have an amazing story idea. You execute the writing and editing flawlessly, and now the only thing missing are readers. We can help you go from author to author superhero with Story Origin. Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs, all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies, reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan, and you will get 10% off your first year. This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. StoryOriginApp.com Well, uh, one of the things that was so interesting to me is that the the role of women in World War One is uh, is highly glossed over in, oh, in yeah. historical um, 
in in our uh, in our history mm-hmm. um you know, World War Two, you start you you see a lot of the the women's roles in that. But when you start going farther back in history, mm-hmm. um, I, I've I've heard almost no stories of of the, the women's role in World War One, and I was uh, I was surprised. You know, like the ambulance corps, like you said, all the men were fighting. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's just not something that I've ever heard talked about. Yeah. Um, it's- so, of course, they, they would be almost completely staffed by women. Um, but why do you think that that um, that history is, is so one sided like that? Well, you know, history is written by the victors <laughs> and men <laughs> were the victors. <laughs> um, the uh, you know, you don't really hear a lot about the ambulance drivers. You don't really hear a lot about the nurses because I guess, you know, their roles are like, oh, well, they're just nurses. They're going to be nursing. Ambulance driver is going to be driving around in the ambulance unless you're Ernest Hemingway who drove an ambulance in Italy, in which case you are, you know, mentioned. But the, um, you know, (laughs) one of the problems with World War One is that, you know, when you try to write about it and you try to write about the men in the trenches is that the trenches never moved. It was a war of, right. it was just attrition. And, you know, they would fight for, you know, a couple of yards and then they would get beaten back those same couple of yards. And it was just, it was just nuts. They would send in, you know, cavalry across no man's land where they were, you know, inevitably just slaughtered. Uh, but the point, the point I'm actually trying to make is that because there is, the conflict is so long and so without a point, it's very difficult to write about it unless, you know, you've written All Quiet on the Western Front, which kind of sums up the whole war. Um, and so once you get into the sort of peripheral characters like ambulance drivers and women, then you start, it starts to get a slightly different slant. And and yeah, I mean, you know, women are neglected and they've been neglected in World War II also until, you know, very recently. So it's, you know, women in wars, it's kind of a, a tough thing to write about if you haven't really done the the research. Sure. Well, and you could uh, you could see these these glaring holes in, in the historical uh, accounts mm-hmm. and, and you could approach this in a way, you know, I'm going to write a book about the unsung heroes of World War One and the the women who who had vital roles there and her who are left out of the stories mm-hmm. you could write that book um you could also write a book like you did sisters of the great war where you bring all those things out but you attach the story to characters that we love and we we uh you know that just we connect with and we want to go on an adventure with them and uh you know the in in both of those you know have their place but um i think that the one of the great things about fiction and historical fiction you know like we're talking about in this context mm-hmm. is that you can you can learn so much uh, but you feel like you've gone on an adventure and it doesn't feel like it's learning um tell me about the the duncan family um how did you come up with them and and what did this this family and their unique relationship to one another um how did that kind of spark the story well um as as you know they live in baltimore and strangely they live in the house that i lived in in baltimore (laughs) (laughs) so uh you know it was all very familiar to me um 
the uh, the house that I lived in in Baltimore was built in 1910. So, uh, you know, so it, it had that feel. And whenever we played Billie Holiday in that house, it just felt like she had been there at one point. But uh, the uh, the Duncan family, you know, is is fairly dysfunctional. They uh, uh, Marie Duncan, the mother, died in childbirth with Elise. Uh, and Ruth, who's the slightly older sister, always felt like she should have been able to do something about that. Uh, her father, who is, is Dr. Duncan, uh, refused to call a midwife during Elise's birth because he thought he could handle it himself and, you know, did not do a good job. So there's this tension, um, you know, where Marie isn't really ever mentioned in the household. Um, the girls are brought up by a governess because the um, because their father is you know, is busy out being a doctor, and uh, you know Elise grows up. In her teens, she realizes she likes to fix things. She can take a clock apart and put it back together, and it still works. Uh, and she is the one who her father kind of feels like is going to need the most help throughout her life because she has basically <laughs> no no sellable skills as, you know, a wife and mother. She's just not cut out for it, obviously. Um, but Ruth is the one he holds out hope for. But Ruth wants to be a doctor, and he refuses to let her do that because it is not done. Uh, and so both girls are kind of kind of in rebellion. Um, Elise is kind of in a, in a sort of a purgatory <laughs> of growing up. And Ruth just really... She wants to be a doctor. It's her goal in life. And the reason they go to Belgium is to follow her love, John uh, Dowling, but um, also for her to get some experience as a doctor on the front lines where, you know, her skills could be used. One thing that um, that I loved about this book is that uh, over the course of the the four years uh, of the war, um, you carry us on this uh, emotional journey um, that you know from from when they arrive that uh, you know that there's all this excitement and um, you know all these these new uh, experiences and people and 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 places and uh, you know you just there's a there's a sort of a tangible excitement about it and then as the war progresses it gets darker and um you, you know the uh the characters are more worn down and and mm -hmm. it's a it's a real emotional journey um was the pacing of that uh was that something that that you mapped out ahead of time, or was it just kind of an an emotional growth that happened as the story came out? It was pretty organic to the story. I'm um, in writing terms. I'm not a plotter. I'm a pantser. I um, plot by the seat of my pants. Sure. Because um, I like to see what happens next, even though I don't know what that is. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know. If, four years is a long time to be in, in that kind of situation and it it does get darker and it does get more and more grim and there are points when it looks like you know the germans are going to win the war uh and you know and you know there's a point where the hospital Ruth is working in is is actually bombed by a german airplane and the chaos that ensues so yeah i mean they become you know more 
you know, their outlook becomes a little bit more jaded. They're, uh, you know, they, they're tired. And by the end of the book, you know, Ruth is just a mess. So, and Elise kind of has to lead her out of, uh, out of the field and onto the boat that goes back to Britain. The, I'm amazed at uh, how people went through these traumatic experiences and then um, just went on to to live life after that. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, it, you know, I look at my grandparents and things uh, like that who who were uh, who went through World War Two and um, and just the the different people that that they must have been before that mm-hmm. Um with, whether um, what what sort of um, uh, resources did you use uh, to? I, I know you talked about the the nurses' journals that you had. Um, mm-hmm. Were there any other resources that that helped you really get the the feeling of what these people were going through? Um, hmm, that's a good question. Uh, the book uh, "Not So Quiet" is the one about that the ambulance driver wrote. Uh, you know, she goes on and on about the war and she, you know, it's like a diary of her daily experiences. And then at the end, it's just like, you know, she's from London and she goes home to London and she's just like, here I am in my house. And that was the end of the war. And it's sort of, you know, I mean, there were big parties and celebrations and everybody was glad, but, you know, it was too early for uh, PTSD to be recognized. They called it shell shock. Right. Uh, and people who, you know, were emotionally crippled by, you know, being bombed um, were not dealt with in terms of their mental health. So a lot of people just, you know, it's that British stiff upper lip that they were expected to keep. And, uh, you know, nobody cries because they're upset about the war, you know, just, you know, you just go on and, uh, and live your life. And it's, it is odd. It's very odd. When, when you write about, uh, when you, when you write a historical account of, uh, of characters, especially in wartime, um, I've read a number of books based around World War II, especially, and then some in World War One. Um, some of those accounts choose to um, not go into very graphic detail um, about the the war scenes, mm-hmm. um, and and choose to to focus more on the character. Um, other books um, give you a a harrowing look at the realities of war. Um, Sisters of the Great War has some very intense um, battle scenes, and and uh, and 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 you really get to feel what the characters are, are feeling through the horrors of war. Um, what, what what was it like to write those uh, more graphic, harrowing scenes, um, and and how important was it to uh, portray war the way war really is? I think it, it's really important to portray war, not as, you know, sort of a grand expedition, but as a sort of a bloody mess. Right. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe this will discourage some people from fighting. Uh, that, that would but, be good. <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Uh, but one of the sources that I used was um, uh, American Heritage um, books of photographs from World War One and um 
you know, Smithsonian and things like that. And the, the pictures are just, you know, for me, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so when you see, you know, these, you know, trains that have been flipped over by bombs and every tree is burnt to a stick and there are bodies lying around and there are, you know, and, you know, in the midst of this is a wooden, what's called a duckboard which is laid across the mud so that soldiers can go into the battlefield or into the trenches where there's more mud because uh, it rains a lot in that part of Belgium. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just it just never gets dry. Um, they, uh, I, I'm getting off on a tangent here. <laughs> no, no, go, okay. go ahead. All right, but uh, you know, when you see these pictures and you just wonder how anybody could have you know, survived any of that stuff. But it's, yeah, it's important, I think, to, to bring the reality home. Because without the, um, you know, the conflict of the war, you know, how does the character, how, how do characters grow? Uh, you know, and I suppose, you know, I could have written it, you know, with the war in the background, but I really felt like, you know, for for it to be a, a good book, a gripping book about World War One, I, I needed to to talk about the war in, you know, in pretty graphic detail. Yeah. Um, Susan, uh, I know you said that you're a, a, a pantser, um, how you like to write. Um, mm -hmm. are, are there any specific tools um, that you use um, that, that make that uh, easy? Or, or, you know, are you a, a writer that just opens a word document and just starts writing are, are there any organizational tools that that help you uh, as a pantser that's a good question um it's uh it's okay so i've been writing a long long time and you know my first publication was uh, basically 30 years ago so at this point uh I have faced all my writing fears. <laughs> and when I see a blank page, it's just like, well, I bet I can write a word on there. So uh, generally what I do to kind of get ready to write is I take my dog out for a walk in the morning and we either go to the mountains or the river, or we go around the neighborhood and I get my thoughts in order. And uh, we get back and I, and I start writing. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll uh, look at the, uh, like what I wrote yesterday and do a little editing just to get back in that groove. And then uh, I just, I write till I have a thousand words. And it usually takes me two to four hours. And then I say to myself, you are a hero. <laughs> and I go eat lunch. <laughs> So you have to have a lot of self-confidence to do this. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that so much. Sisters of the Great War is uh, is out everywhere when you're hearing this. Uh, on the release day of this episode is release day uh, for the book. And uh, in the show notes of this episode, we're going to have links where you can grab it in Kindle edition or paperback if you want to hold the paper in your hand or audiobook. Um, Suzanne, have you have you gotten to listen to any of the audiobook yet? What was really exciting was was auditioning the readers. Oh yeah, uh, it was awesome. I uh, have never been able to do that before, and so we listened to like six little excerpts of people, and uh, I, I feel like we chose the best one because she had a little 
like um, not so much laughter in her voice because it's not really a funny book, but she had that little spark of life that I, I thought would really bring the text to life. Oh, I love that. I can't wait to hear it. Um, we're going to have links in the show notes where you can grab it in any format that that you like to consume books. It's available everywhere today. Um, Susanna, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Uh, I have a website. It's SuzanneFeldman.net. And all my books are there, including my short story collection, which has my Nebula a winner in it. Winner in it. Um, and uh, you can buy from Amazon if you like, or you can buy from bookshop.org. Excellent. Uh, and, and you know, if your local bookstore is uh, has been having a tough time through this pandemic that we've gone through, support uh, your local bookstore as well. Suzanne, this has been so much fun chatting. Uh, we're going to link up everything in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find you and to grab Sisters of the Great War, which is out available everywhere today thank you so much for taking time to come on the show thank you so much thank you very much it's been my pleasure now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from richard glebe's the jason crane series the ancient building wore the severe cassock colors of a puritan minister a uniform monochrome of slate gray shingles and soot gray clabberts its shadowed upper windows cross-hatched like the facets of a spider's eye. The second story protruded beyond the first and bore the house's only ornament, two gray teardrops of wood, weeping from each corner of the building's stiff upper lip. The place would have looked sinister and foreboding in its shadowed alley if not for the die-cut silhouette of a dancing sheep, jaunty above the door, and the two front bay windows that blazed with colorful, welcoming light. The windows were hung with orbs of colored glass on staggered lengths of ribbon. Each orb glowed with autumnal reds and delicate greens, burgundy tints and pumpkin hues, dappled raspberry and clover lime, streaked with light and weightless as bubbles over a cauldron. The shelves below offered crystal skulls and silver daggers and horny devils, Celtic chalices and woven dream catchers in dreamcoat hues, a primitive broom leaned in a corner, ready for flight, and a rhapsodic nude in bronze clutched her goat-legged lover beneath a jackal bust of Anubis. The interior of the shop was even witchier. Above a crude and sooty fireplace, a stack of brick barely holding the shape of a chimney pushed through the barn-high roof, threading ancient beams that crisscrossed overhead. Brooms and kettles and Christmas lights dangled from these, alongside Halloween costumes and Chinese umbrellas, pointy hats and bundles of herbs. Jason wandered deeper into the shop. His fingers trailed across strange bronze statuary and Aztec masks of turquoise and lapis lazuli. He rolled his eyes at the luck candles and money charms, but goggled indecently at a nude and anatomically correct silver nymph with long golden hair that reminded him of Kate. See anything you like? Jason jumped, turned, and jumped again. The woman standing before him was the living embodiment of every hippy-dippy counterculture type he'd ever seen. Her hair was green, her face pale and round, her doughy body wrapped in some elaborately woven ethnic garb. Her eyebrows were black and pierced in little rows, and her eyes were heavily circled with midnight blue, as if she'd been sucker-punched by an oil slick.
She tapped the glass over the nymph. Admiring the goddess, I see. Oh, uh, uh, she practically caught him with porn. You want to hold her? She won't break. Here. The woman flipped open a glass door and handed Jason the naked figure. See how heavy she is? You could bang her against the wall all day and barely make a dent. She waggled her eyebrows, obviously enjoying his discomfort. He checked the price tag. Seven hundred bucks? The goddess is a symbol of love and fertility. Don't be ashamed of desiring her. The woman's long green fingernails plucked a long black cigarette from a long red case, and she lit it. I sense, she blew smoke and studied its whirls. Dissatisfaction in love? Yes, I have just the thing. She pulled Jason into a side room where the smell of her clove smoke gave way to the skunky aromas of potpourri sachets, tea leaves, and hanging clutches of twiggy flowers. She searched, found a little bundle, and pressed it into his hand. This will make you irresistible. Rub it on your nethers twice a day, and love shall surely find you. Jason made a face. The bundle smelled like cow manure. He didn't even want that on his hands.